when I was a kid, between the ages of five and ten, my family lived in rural Idaho in a small town called Orofino. Orofino is not close to anything. Kind of like Twain Hart. I don't know, when I was telling people that we were moving here, there's like, what's that close to? And it, we, it's like an hour east of Modesto. It's kind of close to Yosemite. It's not really close to anything, which is part of our charm, isn't it? But uh, Orofino was kind of like that in the middle of nowhere, which meant that any time we went anywhere, it was a bit of a road trip, including when we would make our annual trek every summer to visit my grandparents, who lived in Petaluma, California, over in Sonoma County. And uh, that's a long drive. And on those long drives, in the days before handheld electronic devices and in-car DVD players, you would get kind of desperate to find something to entertain yourself while you're driving those many hours. And one of the ways that I would entertain myself and pass the time would be by looking at maps. Maps for you youngsters, uh, they're these giant paper documents that you would get like at a gas station or AAA that's like, like Google Maps but printed out. And uh, you, would, you would have this map, you would unfold it, and you'd never quite be able to fold it back up right again. But it would show you uh, all, all the roads. And so I would look at that and I would... I would trace our route from Orofino through Washington, down through Oregon to California, changing maps as needed. And then I would figure out what would be the most efficient route to take. And then what would be the most scenic route to take. And then I would plan imaginary trips. What if I wanted to go from Bend to Bellingham, from San Diego to Boise, and I'd figure out those routes. And there was something kind of satisfying to me of being able to plan out that route. And I appreciated the visual aspect. That was actually helpful to me to see, here's how the roads connect. Here's what the route would actually look like. Now, I really like turn-by-turn navigation. I do not want to go back to paper maps. (laughs) But I do miss that aspect of getting that overview of this is where you are, this is where you're going, and here's all the ways that you could get there. What we're doing in this series that we're in called How to Be Offended is kind of like providing a roadmap so that we can navigate offense and conflict when those happen in our relationships. We know where we start, those times where we feel offended by someone. We know where we want to end at a place of forgiveness and reconciliation and freedom. But how do we get there? And it matters that we think about this because like it or not, offense is going to happen. There will be conflict. There will be hurt feelings in relationships. And when that happens, what do we do? A lot of people don't have a great answer to that question. They're bad at being offended, meaning they don't know how to work through that. So part of what we want to see happen through this series is that we would be better at being offended, meaning that we'd have some practical tools and a plan to deal with the reality of offense and to work through it in healthy, God-honoring ways when it happens. Now, I want to remind you as we come to this topic again this morning that there is a significant difference between offense and abuse and how we respond to abuse is differently, different than how we respond to offense. If you take what I'm saying, and in particular some of what I'm going to say this morning, and apply it to abusive situations, it's, not, it's going to be counterproductive. Not only will I not deal with that situation Uh, thoroughly, you run the risk of allowing the abuse to continue, and you could add unnecessary hurt to someone who's being abused. So we're going to keep that distinction in mind. 
Last week, I began unpacking a flowchart that summarizes some of God's wisdom for how to deal with offense. And, uh, and I'll just, just to remind you of where we've been, uh, the starting point is that, to recognize that I feel offended by someone. Remember, our context is personal relationships. We're not talking about when we're offended at the state of the world or whatever hot-button issue is on social media. This is dealing with offense in relationships. And the first question we ask is, is this my offense? Now, uh, if the answer is no, and we realize that we've taken on someone else's offense, then what we want to do is promote reconciliation. We want to uh, do that by not gossiping and by being a peacemaker. Uh, Being a peacemaker can include being a mediator if we have the depth of relationship with both parties, the offended and the offender, in order to do that. Or it could just mean urging our friend who's been offended to make sure they talk to the person who offended them so they can work it through. So that's if the answer to the question, is this a current offense or a, is this my offense, is no. But what if that answers yes? What if it is my offense? That's where we're picking things up today. And when we realize that's the case, the next question we want to ask is, is this a current offense? Now, what you're feeling is a current reality, but is the source of that something that happened recently or something that happened a long time ago? And more significantly, is it something that has been dealt with? That's what current means in this context. Never been faced or worked through. Now, you may realize that actually what I'm feeling angst about, what I'm bothered by, the offense that I feel, is actually from something that happened a really long time ago. And what it looks like to work through those really old offenses is going to vary depending on how long ago it happened and how serious it was and whether you still have a relationship with the person who hurt you. And and that's an important thing to talk about. And uh, I'm not really, in this series, going to try to talk about inner healing for those past wounds. I've preached on that before. But then there is healing. But what we're focusing on in this series is our current relationships and conflict that's more recent and hasn't yet been dealt with. Now, if you recognize that this is a current offense, it's not been dealt with, then you go on to kind of the next step in the process. But sometimes we recognize actually what I'm feeling is tied to something that I've already faced and worked through, and I'm still feeling something connected to it. I talk to the person Apologies were made, forgiveness was asked for and, and given, and uh, I worked through it, and nothing's happened since then to reoffend, but I'm still feeling something connected to that. So when we recognize that's the case, what do we do? When we realize that it's not a current offense, but we're still feeling offended, what do we do? Well, the first thing that it's helpful to do is to reaffirm forgiveness. I realize that what's in the boxes is pretty small, so I'm trying... So What's in that little box is what is larger there, reaffirm forgiveness. And uh, we've already worked through forgiveness as part of facing that situation, but now we reaffirm that with the Lord. Okay, what they did bothered me, it hurt me, but I've chosen not to hold that against them. I chose and I choose again not to live in reaction to what they did. I released them and I release them again, Lord, into your care, I'm not going to try to punish them. I just I entrust them to you. So we reaffirm that work of forgiveness that we've already done. Sometimes what we discover 
is that we're feeling something about an old situation or something we've already worked through because there's another layer of hurt that was uncovered. Or we're seeing it from another angle and realizing, oh, it actually affected me that way too. And so when we discover that deeper layer, that fresh angle, we need to work through that with the Lord as well. We may or may not need to talk to the person about it again, but we definitely need to work through that with the Lord. Okay, Lord, I'm now feeling this differently. There's now this new layer that's been uncovered. I see it from this other angle, and so now I forgive them for that element of what they did. I bring this hurt to you and ask you for your grace and your healing and your mercy. And we work through it at that deeper level. So we may need to reaffirm forgiveness or work through that at a deeper level. Something we may also need to do when we're feeling offense from something that we've already resolved is to repent of resentment. Now, repent is a strong word, but sometimes that's what we need to do. But we need to recognize that holding on to that grudge, that offense, is actually wrong. We need to see that God wants us to live in peace with others. We need to obey the command to love one another. Don't you wish love one another was a suggestion? Don't you wish love your enemies was a suggestion? But it's actually an, a, a command. And we need to see that loving our enemies include, or uh, loving uh, one another includes keeping no record of wrongs, as 1 Corinthians 13.5 says. And so we, we've got to recognize that harboring resentment in our hearts is wrong. It's unloving to that person, and it's unfair to them, because as far as they know, the situation's been worked through, the last they heard from us is we forgive them and now we're holding on to something. So repenting of resentment means confessing this before the Lord and asking for his forgiveness. But repentance also includes the idea of changing direction. So what moves in the opposite direction from resentment? Well, I think it'd be blessing that person. So instead of holding on to something and wishing them ill because of it, we release that, and we wish them well. That's what blessing means. It's wanting, it's praying for good things to happen to someone else. And so we bless them. So we may need to reaffirm forgiveness, repent of resentment, and we also need to rebuke spiritual opposition. One of our enemy's most common tactics is to sow division and dissension. In fact, look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, whom I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not going to be outwitted by Satan, because we're not ignorant of his designs. And one of his designs, his schemes is to get us trapped in unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. This plays right into his plans for us, his agenda for us. What God wants for us is that we would experience peace and joy and freedom. And when we've got unresolved conflict in our life and unforgiven offenses we're holding on to, it steals all that away from us. See, Satan's plan A is that we would never forgive others in the first place. He wants us to hold on to that offense and to let it rot and fester in our hearts. He wants bitterness to poison our souls. 
He wants unforgiveness to be a barrier in our relationship with God. He wants all of our relationships to be colored by suspicion and cynicism and misplaced anger. And when that doesn't work, when we do the courageous and spiritually powerful act of facing what's going on and forgiving someone, then Satan goes to his plan B, which is to try to diminish the benefit of that in our lives as much as possible. He wants us to keep feeling offended over something that we've already resolved. In the same way that he wants us to feel guilty and condemned over things that we've confessed to God and been forgiven by him for, he wants us to hold on to resentment for things that we've forgiven others for. He wants us to rehash over and over again how much what they did bothered us and how much it hurt us and how unfair it was He wants us to tell that to other people as well so that other people's perspective on that person who hurt us will be poisoned as well. This really plays into his plans. This is one of his schemes. But we're not going to be outwitted by him because we're not ignorant of his schemes and his designs. And so we're going to exercise some authority and take a stand. We're going to rebuke him in Jesus' name so that we're not outwitted by him and his plans for us don't succeed. And so when we're tempted to to kind of dip into resentment, we stand against that and say, okay, God, I see what's happening. I'm tempted to resent this person. I'm tempted to rehash that offense. But but, But Lord, I'm resisting that temptation. I know where that leads. And so I say no in Jesus' name to Satan and his plans for me. And instead of being limited and trapped and enslaved by resentment and being limited in that way. Instead, I say, yes, Lord, to the fullness of your spirit's work in my life and to your agenda and your plan for me. So we say that no, we rebuke the enemy and we say yes to God and what he wants to do. When you recognize that the offense you're feeling is tied to something you've already resolved, then consider, do I need to reaffirm forgiveness or work through it at a deeper level? Do I need to repent of resentment that I've been hanging on to? And or do I need to rebuke spiritual opposition so that the enemy doesn't get a foothold here? So if we realize that it is not a current offense, that's what we do. But what if the answer is yes, that it is a current offense? Then what do we do? Well, then there's another diagnostic question that we need to ask. And that question is, can I... Should I overlook the offense? Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Uh, What we're talking about in overlooking an offense here is being patient rather than irritable. Uh, Another way to translate the first half of that verse is that we'd be slow to anger instead of being quick to anger. And so when we overlook an offense, that's what we're doing. Some things that happen to us are just annoyances, and the mature thing to do is not let them bother us. This is the healthy, appropriate sense of being unoffendable. Although I can imagine someone saying, hang on a minute, Tim. Last Sunday you said that one of the unhealthy ways to deal with offense was to ignore it, and if we stuff it, it'll come out in unhealthy ways later in life, but now you're saying that sometimes we should ignore it? Well, No, not exactly, because overlooking and ignoring are not the same thing. Uh, Overlooking, in particular the, the word that's used here in Proverbs, has the idea of moving past 
or moving beyond. So we face what happened. We do not ignore it. We are not in denial about it. We face it, and then we make a decision. Can I move past this without some lingering resentment hanging on? Can I move past this? And sometimes, <laughs> this is exactly what we need to do. You know, if what happened is not a pattern of behavior in the other person's life, if it's the first time we've had that kind of interaction with them, if after further reflection we see that what they said maybe could have been taken differently than how we took it, maybe they meant it differently than we took it, then the best thing to do might just be to overlook what happened. Sometimes overlooking an offense is the most loving thing we can do. Loving other people includes treating them like we want to be treated. So do you want to be evaluated on how you act on your worst days or how you act most of the time? And when you veer from your norm, do you want others to extend grace to you? Do you want them to give you the benefit of the doubt? Do you want them to see what you do and say in the best possible light, not the worst possible light? Would you want them to overlook the offense if your positions were reversed? See, we've got to offer others the same grace and mercy that we would want to receive from them. And so, so we're considering, can I overlook this offense? Part of what we're asking is, can I move past this without holding on to resentment to that other person? But we're also asking, can I fully resolve this? Can I fully work through it without talking to that other person? Now, sometimes the answer to that question is no, and it's often very appropriate and necessary for us to have a conversation with them about what happened. And we can't allow overlooking an offense to become an excuse for avoiding uncomfortable conversations. What we're talking about here isn't connected to our comfort, but our health. Do we need to talk to them in order for that offense not to be a source of continuing tension and dis-ease in our lives? So this is what we're considering when we're answering the question, can I overlook this offense? We also, though, need to ask the question, should I overlook this offense? And again here, love must guide us. When we're, uh, when we're considering this, if we realize that, okay, if I don't talk to this person, then there's going to be this, this ongoing tension or resentment in the relationship, then obviously the most loving thing to do is talk to them. Uh, but loving also includes confronting when necessary. And so if what happened is part of a pattern of behavior in that person's life, if it does uh, reveal a character issue, then it would be unloving not to talk to them about it. We need to consider the question, is it in their best interest for me to bring this up? If I avoid talking to them about this, Am I robbing them of an opportunity to grow? If I have this conversation with them, awkward though it sounds like it's going to be, but if I have that conversation, could it alert them to a blind spot that they have? Could it help them see how their words and actions affect others, maybe in ways they're not aware of? When we think about what's going to be loving we're not just thinking about ourself, our relationship with this person, or their well-being. We also need to think about other people as well. If I don't talk to them about this, 
would they continue to act this way and maybe hurt other people in the same way they hurt or offended me? So it's possible that even if we can overlook an offense, that we might still need to talk to the person about it. Not for our sake necessarily, but for their sake and for the sake of others. Now sometimes when we ask this question, can I, should I overlook the offense? The answer is actually yes. It wasn't that big a deal. It's not a pattern. I can let it go. It's not a big deal. And if that happens, fantastic. When that's the case, praise the Lord. Uh, what you want to do is release that person. And so if there's any degree of forgiveness to work through, you do. You say, okay, Lord, I hand them over to you. I'm not holding on to this. I'm laying down this offense and I choose not to pick it up again. I release them and I bless them. You don't have to bless the immaturity and dysfunction in their life, but you bless them. You bless their relationship with God. You bless their relationships with others. You bless their physical health, their emotional health, their overall well-being. You bless them, and then you move on in freedom without this being something that's going to trip you up. Now, moving on in freedom is the goal. It's also a test. If you can't move on in freedom, it means you've got some more work to do. So we, we release them, we bless them, we move on in freedom. Sometimes, though, that the, the answer to that question, can I or should I overlook this, is no. No, there has to be a, conver a conversation in order for the situation to be fully resolved, in order for you to be able to release that person and bless them and move on in freedom, in order for them to be healthy and free, uh, in order for there not to be a gap in your relationship that the enemy can exploit, uh, in, you know, for the sake of other people, that that person may know, uh, it matters that you're going to talk to them. So when we can't or shouldn't overlook an offense, what do we do? Well, what we've got to do is talk to the person one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, a lot of what I, I'm going to say in the rest of this flowchart comes from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. There Jesus is talking about working through offense and uh, reconciliation and relationships with brothers and sisters with those that are our fellow believers, part of the same church that we're part of. What Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15, is if your brother or sister sins, and the idea sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Notice there the instruction, go, go and, and talk just the two of you, but also the win. You have won them over if they listen to you. That's what we're aiming for. Uh, to win them over, the Greek there literally is, you have gained your brother. Uh, see, the, the relationship is preserved, not destroyed. That's the win. The win is not, they feel really, really bad. The win is not, you prove your intellectual and moral superiority over them. The win is that the relationship is preserved. The relationship is restored. And so we got to talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. Now, Saying you've got to talk to the person who offended you, maybe it sounds like a super obvious statement, but this is the most important and the most avoided step in reconciliation. People avoid doing this because it's uncomfortable. But when there's an offense, how else do we think it's going to be worked through if there's not some kind of conversation about it? 
we've got to talk to the person. Now, last week I said that it's not necessarily wrong when you've been hurt or offended to go to a friend and say this is what happened and get their help and support. That's not wrong to do. But it does become a problem if you talk to one friend and another friend and another friend and a group of friends about what happened before you actually go talk to the person who offended you. That's actually inappropriate and unhelpful if you talk to a bunch of other people but aren't to actually talk to the person you really need to talk to, the one that, that offended or hurt you. Now, if you're on the, and I would say, if you need a rule of thumb for that, saying, Tim, what does that look like? This is what I would say. Don't talk to more than one or two other people before you talk to the person who offended you. Now, if you're on the receiving end of someone saying, I was hurt and offended, of course, listen and empathize. Absolutely do that. But at some point in the conversation, ask them, have you talked to them about this? What did they say when you talked to them about this? They said, no, I haven't talked to them. And ask, why not? When are you planning to do that? How can I help make that happen? Uh, we Remember, this is part of being a peacemaker and promoting reconciliation is encouraging that, that conversation to happen. And this really does need to happen between those two people. I want to encourage you to, generally speaking, not talk to the offender on behalf of the offended. Uh, that, that generally is not helpful. What we want to have are lines of communication, not triangles of communication. So a, a line, you can leave it having two points. Here's me, if I, if I offended the person, here's the person I offended. We should talk to each other, that's a line of communication. But if I offended them, and they talked to someone else, and then that person talks to me, now we've got a triangle of communication. Here's the problem. That leaves a lot more room for distorted communication. It become like a game of telephone. Uh, well, uh, I want to tell you that, that what you said really hurt them and they're bothered. And I said, well, you tell them that what I meant was this. And then they tell them, and then they come back, well, they said that they didn't hear it that way, they heard this. I said, well, tell... I mean, it just gets kind of, kind of strange. I mean, yeah, so we want to avoid that. So... Don't, uh, don't go on behalf of someone else. Encourage them to talk directly to the person who offended them. You, you know, I've, I've seen this happen. I've experienced this. Someone will come to me and they'll say, Tim, I just want you to know so-and-so, hey, we're really hurt by, by when this happened. And maybe it's something I did or maybe it's even something someone else in the church did to them. Tim, I want you to know that this person was bothered by what this person did. And... I care that it happened. I care that people are hurting. And there's a part of me because I'm a pastor that I, I, I'm glad to know that that's going on. But I often have the question, well, why are we talking about this? You know, if it really bothered them, and it bothered them enough to talk to you, why didn't it bother them enough to talk to me if I was the one who hurt them? Or if they're really bothered by what this other person did, how come... They're talking to you and you're talking to me, but they haven't talked to that person yet. So I just want to encourage that as our first step, encourage that conversation between the people. Don't, don't, uh, don't interject yourself, especially if you've not been asked to. That's also confusing. Did they ask you to come talk to me because I'm a very scary and intimidating person and, and they thought that I would really mistreat them? Like, no, they don't even know I'm talking to you. Okay, again, I'm glad to know it's good to be aware, but let's work on getting the right people talking to each other. 
So um, you got to talk to the person one-on-one. -on -one. Here in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, you go and point out their fault just between the two of you. The initiative here is on the one who has been offended to go and talk. But in Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, you leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. There, the uh, onus is on the person who's the offender. You know they have something against you. Here's the point. Whether you're the offended or the offender, if you know something isn't right in the relationship, you be the one to bring it up. You be the one to initiate that conversation because these one-on-one -on -one conversations have to happen. So when these conversations happen, what should that look like? How do we actually do that? And how can we approach this in a way that will actually be uh, productive? And I'm thinking of this more from the angle of if you're the offended person needing to initiate this conversation. And uh, I would say to start with, think about timing. Timing matters. Uh, it's not going to be really helpful if you go in the heat of the moment while you're really angry and still, well, the hurt is really fresh. It's probably not going to be the best kind of conversation. But you also don't want let too much time to pass before you talk to them. You don't want to go to them and say, three years ago you said something and it really bothered me. You, you want to keep shorter accounts than that, okay? So again, if you need a rule of thumb, I would suggest that you, within a week, talk to them about what happened. Don't let a lot of time pass. Think about it, process it, but especially when we're talking about offense on that, on that less serious end of that hurt scale, um, talk to them within a week. And when you talk to them, I, I'm, I'm using talk very literally, have a conversation with them. Don't try to do this over email or text. And I'm not just saying that because I'm old. Uh, I know that this is a way that many of us prefer to communicate. But when we don't communicate face-to-face -face, or at least voice-to-voice, -voice, something really important is missing from our communication. Because uh, so much of our communication is nonverbal. It's in the tone of voice. It's in the gaps and pauses in what we say. It's in our volume. It's in the words we emphasize, our facial expressions, our hand gestures. And because written communication lacks that nonverbal component, it can often come across as more brusque, colder, even harsher than we intend it to be. And when we're in an already touchy situation working through a fence, don't we want to give ourselves every possible advantage for there to be good communication? Don't we want to limit as much as possible the chance of miscommunication and misunderstanding? So you want to have a conversation with them. I strongly urge you, have these conversations if not in person, then at least over the phone or over video chat, don't try to do it in writing. And when you have this conversation, what do you actually say? How do you, how do you approach this? You've got to communicate, here's what happened, here's my experience of that, here's how that affected me, here's why it affected me that way. But remember that our goal is to preserve the relationship. It's not to make the person feel bad. It's not to score points or win. It's restoration of the relationship. So you want to say what you need to say, but do it in a way that doesn't trigger a defensive response from them. So a, a great uh, starting point for this is not to start your conversation 
with accusations or assumptions, but to start with questions. So don't start by saying, you are such a jerk. You don't care about me or my family. You, uh, you, you, you just really think I'm a bad parent or a bad person or a bad Christian, don't you? You, you, um, you know what? You are just immature and selfish. You, you know, when you start the conversation that way, which we're tempted to do, where does that lead to? So I suggest instead of starting with questions, this is why it's sometimes good to give yourself some time to work through it and strategize, but come to the person and say, hey, the other day when this happened, it seemed like you were implying this. Did, did I read you correctly? You know, when you said this, I'm not, under sure, I'm not sure I really understood what you meant. What, what did you mean by that? Or even sometimes you have to say, hey, I heard this person said that you said this. Is that accurate? Uh, what, what did you mean by that? Why did you say that? Start with asking questions and clarifying. We do this, again, because this is a loving thing to do. Isn't that how you would want someone to approach you? Not with accusations, not with assumptions, but to clarify and ask questions. Especially because so much of the time, a misunderstanding is actually at the root of the offense or the conflict, and it's helpful to identify that and be able to deal with the misunderstanding before we unload both barrels on the person and, uh, and just totally slime them. So clarify what's going on. Again, the result is restoration of the relationship. That's the end we want to get to. A starting point that helps us get there is to not make accusations or assumptions, but to ask questions and to clarify so that we can have real, a real conversation with the person, that they'll respond to what we say and say something of their own, that it can, can really eventually lead to forgiveness and moving on together well in the relationship. So, so you, uh, you want to uh, not start with accusations and assumptions. You also, when you do express, here's how it affected me, you need to say that. You need to be honest. You need to express that in order for the right kind of conversation to happen. But again, I suggest that you do that using I language rather than you language because, again, you want to say it you want to say it honestly and thoroughly, but in a way that's going to lead to more of a conversation. So you say, hey, when that happened, I was confused because I thought we had a different kind of relationship than that. I was disappointed in that. Uh, I, I, I was hurt by what you said and what you did. I was, um, I was angry at that. You got to say it, but say it using I language. And uh, so we, this is some of what we want to do when we have these conversations. And when we have these conversations, uh, it's, it's really likely that we're going to have to uh, apologize uh, one party to the other, maybe both parties. Now, you've probably experienced, as I have, some apologies that were really good and helpful in working toward reconciliation and some other not-so-good apologies. Uh, so... Just uh, to remind you, here's what makes a good apology. First of all, you take personal responsibility. When an apology starts, I'm sorry that you, you're not off to a good start. When it's vague, I'm sorry that this thing happened. You know, you're not on a good track. You're, you're sorry for what you did. I'm sorry that I did this. I'm sorry I hurt you by my actions and my words. I'm sorry I made an assumption that was incorrect. I, I, again, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Not, I'm sorry you were hurt. 
I'm sorry you found it hurtful. I'm sorry it was hurtful. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I said that in a way that left room for misinterpretation. Not, I'm sorry you didn't understand what I was saying. Not, I'm sorry you're too stupid to understand when I say things really clearly. I'm sorry I said that in a way that left room for misinterpretation because that's not really what I intended. I'm sorry for what I did. You take personal responsibility. Then you commit to change. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle that differently in the future. I'm going to make sure I've got my facts straight before I, I speak. Uh, I'm going to come to you when I have a question rather than coming to other people about you. Uh, I'm not going to make assumptions. I'm going to act differently. I'm not going to do it that way again. And then you ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Personal responsibility, commit to change, ask for forgiveness. That's an apology that can lead to a restored relationship. Now, I recognize that initiating these conversations where we bring up offense and how someone's hurt us, I realize it is not most people's favorite thing to do. It's hard. To be really frank with how I'm wired, this is not my favorite thing to do either. But it's necessary if we're going to win our brother, if we're going to have a restored relationship. It's necessary. And here's what I found when I've had these kind of conversations with people. It's rarely as bad as I've made it in my mind it's going to be. It often goes a lot better than that. Um, sometimes there is a misunderstanding that's at the root of it, and it's super helpful to get that clarified. I find that what I was offended about wasn't actually factually true. What I felt was real, but what I was offended by wasn't actually real. That's really good to get figured out. When I have these conversations, sometimes I realize, oh, there's something about myself that I need to see, how I acted in that situation. Even if I felt like the offended party, there's still sometimes some self-awareness that I can grow in. And very, very often, the person is glad that I brought it up. They're glad for the opportunity to make things right. Sometimes they don't even know that it happened. So I say, hey, this happened. It, it bothered me. They say, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way here. And we can talk through it. And it's, they end up being really glad that we had the conversation. So I encourage you, talk one-on-one -on -one to the person who offended you. Don't avoid it. Now, when we... When we uh, have this conversation, we can ask, did that resolve the situation? And if the answer is yes, then that's great. We, uh, we praise the Lord, release them, bless them, move on in freedom. This may take a little more effort than when we're just overlooking an offense because the hurt's a little more serious, but it's still what we want to do. We, when, when they say, will you forgive me in that apology, we want to be able to say yes and really mean it and no, and this means that we could actually have a restored relationship. I'm not holding that against you. I'm letting that go. I've given it to the Lord. And, I, and we can have a relationship with this not in the way of our relationship with each other. And you bless them and you move on in freedom. Now, if the answer to this question, does that resolve the situation, is no, there's more steps to take. And that's what we'll look at next Sunday as we wrap this up. And just a reminder... The whole flowchart will be available next week. Your fondest dreams come true. So uh, that's coming. But this is where we want to pause for today. Here's what we do when we feel offended. We first of all ask, is this my offense? If the answer is yes, then we ask, is this a current offense? Something has not been worked through. If that answer is yes, we ask, can I or should I overlook it? And again, when we ask that, we're not, um, we're considering, can I move past this? 
without holding on to some resentment? Or do I need to talk to the person? Not, not asking what am I most comfortable with, but what's necessary for my health, their health, the health of our relationship. So can I or should it overlook it? If yes, that's great. We release them, bless them, and move on in freedom. But if not, we talk to them one-on-one. We approach those conversations in a way that's going to lead to a good result as, and not put them on the defensive as, as best we can do. And we make sure that any apologies that we offer in those conversations are, are good apologies. So we take responsibility, we commit to change, we ask for forgiveness. I, I want to invite the worship team to come back because we're going to worship together before we close the service. But I also just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. It may be that as we've been talking this morning, there's a, a nudge from him of, you know what, in this relationship, in this area, you, you got some work to do. Maybe you realize you've been holding on to some resentment. You've got to repent of that. Maybe you realize you've got to work through a forgiveness process more thoroughly than you have. Maybe you realize, I've got to take a stand in some authority against the enemy. He's trying to mess with me and my relationships. Or whatever it may be. Maybe the Lord has really been kind of flashing in your mind the face of that person that you know you've got to talk to. Whatever it is, I want to give you a chance right now to make that response to the Lord. So would you just bow your heads in a moment of quiet prayer where you're at. Just take this moment to respond to the Lord and listen to him and respond to him in the way that he's leading you to. Father, I am so grateful that when the relationship between you and humankind was broken, that you didn't just write it off, but that you took the initiative for reconciliation. Thank you, Jesus, that you did way more than just what was comfortable in order to see that reconciliation happen. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for us so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to the Father. We want to be like you, God, in our relationships. And so we respond to you in the ways that you're prompting us individually. But we also come to you as a church family, as Chapel in the Pines, and say, we want to have healthy, restored, reconciled relationships with one another. And uh, if there's any ways in which there's been division that's cropped up, that there's been dissension that's been sown, in any ways the enemy has messed with us because we've held on to some resentment or offense, Lord, we release that right now. And I just, I stand in the authority I have as your son, Father, the authority I have as one who's in Christ Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places, as one who's a temple of the Holy Spirit and the pastor of this church, and I bind and reject any work of the enemy to further dissension and division in this church family or between us and other churches in this area. And I reject any uh, spirits and forces of suspicion, uh, cynicism, anger, uh, deception, any distorted understandings of reality, any uh, miscommunication, any division or dissension. I reject and bind that in Jesus' name, and I lose forgiveness and mercy and the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I declare that over this church as I declare it over each of our lives. May that be what we're known for. May that be what we live in. And the specific ways we need to live that out, Lord, make that clear to us. Because we're saying yes to to you in this moment. And our resolve is to keep saying yes to you in every moment, personally and corporately as this church family. Have your way, Lord. 
May we truly live in freedom and in the unity and joy of restored relationships, we pray. In your name, amen.